There's been a growing problem in the church in our country. Americans casually attend church like it's an event they go to when they have time. Many church-going people no longer hold a biblical worldview, know what they believe or why they believe what they believe. Kids are graduating from high school, going to college and turning away from their faith in Christ. Christians and churches are more divided today than ever. Churches emphasize the word of God to the neglect of the Holy Spirit or neglect the word of God and emphasize the Holy Spirit. Many churches create ministry silos where each ministry covers something different, making it impossible for a family to be on the same page together. In their effort to be compassionate, many Christians have lost their anchor to conviction from the scripture while others seeking to remain true to their convictions have abandoned compassion. Some Christians in churches are preaching the gospel and making disciples, but neglecting justice for the oppressed, while others are committed to justice for the oppressed, but have abandoned their primary call to make disciples of Jesus. And to our own detriment, Sunday morning is still the most segregated hour of the week. We have been and are deeply troubled by these things and believe that Jesus is calling us to reconsider our commitment to being passionate and serious disciples of Jesus that make disciples of Jesus. About four years ago, a bunch of families planted the city church together. Our vision was to be that city on a hill that Jesus said his disciples would be. And God has clearly blessed the faith and sacrifices of that original core group. And he has been moving powerfully in our midst and transforming lives by the power of the gospel. We have seen kids, students, adults, and incarcerated men and women give their lives to Jesus and get baptized. We have seen those same incarcerated men and women get out of jail and come to our church. We, we've seen marriages saved and restored. We've seen kids and students learn what they believe and why they believe it. We have seen addicts experience recovery. We've seen people find their spiritual family and grow in their relationship with Jesus as they have devoted themselves to the word of God and to prayer. We have seen our church become more and more multi-ethnic and more multi-generational. We have seen some grow in their compassion and others grow in their convictions. We've seen prayers answered and people healed. We've seen dear saints in Christ pass away and in doing so receive the greatest miracle ever. We have partnered with local ministries like Open Door, One Voice Home, Park Ridge Pregnancy Center, the Innocence Project of Texas, the Immigration Coalition, the Children's Home of Lubbock, and 100 Black Men of West Texas to serve and bless the poor in our city, the oppressed, the unborn, the orphan, the innocent, the immigrant, and the marginalized in Jesus' name. We have partnered with foreign ministries like Harvest Evangelistic Association, Wycliffe Bible Translators, and several other missionaries working in restricted areas to make disciples and plant churches among unreached people groups. Over the past four years, God has shown us what it will look like to be that city on a hill. The city church is called to be a multi-ethnic and multi-generational family that is committed to both word and spirit, grace and truth, mission and justice, and diversity and unity. And now, the time has come for a new core group that is committed to Jesus and the vision of our church to step out in faith and sacrifice to launch the city church into a new season so that we can put roots down into this vision. We're calling this next season of faith and sacrifice Project One. Since there is one God and one name by which we are saved, that means there's one faith, one family, and one focus worthy of giving our one life for. One God and one name by which we're saved means there's one faith. Ephesians 4 verse 5 says there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, in all, and living through all. Verse 11 says, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. And so we believe the role of the church and its pastors is to equip and disciple the saints in this one faith in order that we might know, worship and serve the one true God together as one family. Since the word of God is the one source that teaches us about the one faith, gives us all we need for life and godliness and prepares us for every good work, 
we will gather in large groups and small groups to study the scriptures verse by verse in every ministry. So project one is about examining and praying about you and your family's commitment to knowing and being equipped in the one faith. Table talk for us, I think, is hard because we, I feel like, are never at home at the same time. It may be like three of us at home, two of us are gone. But the times that we've done it, it's it's just a, a way, one, for us to engage in conversation with them to see what they're learning and what they're taking away. But it's also a way for, I feel like, us to learn, too. We're all learning the same thing together, and we're just growing together as a family. And then we can continue to have these conversations. One God and one name by which we're saved means there's one family. Ephesians 2, starting in verse 14, says this, For Christ himself brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. So we believe the gospel brings people of different ethnicities, genders, ages, incomes, and political persuasions together as one family in Christ. With this truth in mind, during the spring and summer of 2020, God began to change the hearts of our leadership and give us a vision for intentionally becoming a multi-ethnic church. So. One family means the City Church will pursue being a multi-ethnic and multi-generational family gathering in downtown Lubbock. One of these steps our leadership sense we must pursue in our vision to be multi-ethnic was to meet in a part of town that reinforced this value and vision. We sensed that finding a permanent home in downtown Lubbock would communicate that no part of the city of Lubbock was being favored and that our permanent home would be a place for people from every part of Lubbock to gather together under one name and one faith. How beautiful to see people of all ages, political persuasions, incomes, and ethnicities worshiping Jesus together with one voice. So this new permanent home will be a worship center, an equipping center, a family center, a prayer center, a missions center. I want my kids to be around people realizing they are different, whether it be skin tone, the way they speak, their history. Like I want them to understand that that's all around them and not be ignorant to it because we need to understand that there are gonna be people who are different and understand that that's not a problem, that's actually a solution. You know, in the book of Revelation, like, uh... John writes and he like talks about this this big corporate worship session where he's like there's tri- all tribes, all tongues, all nations. So if we were to to only be one ethnicity and all that, we're actually missing out on what heaven's going to look like in the long run. One God and one name by which we're saved means we must have one focus. In Matthew 28, starting in verse 18, Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. In Acts chapter 14, some Jews arrived from Antioch and Iconium and formed this mob. And they actually stoned Paul and dragged him out of the town he was preaching in and left him for dead. But as the believers gathered around Paul and they prayed for him, he got back up. And then Acts 14 says he went back into the city where they just stoned him. Why would Paul go back? They just stoned him and left him for dead. Paul went back because he was convinced that just like it says in Acts 4.12, there is one name by which we can be saved. Paul went back because he was all in on Jesus's mission to make disciples of all the nations. So our mission as a church must be to make disciples of Jesus both here in Lubbock and there among unreached people groups. And so while we gather around one faith, We're also going to scatter here and there with one focus, making disciples of Jesus. So here's what I'm asking of you. 
go all in with us. We are praying for 100% engagement in this next season of our church. If there is one God, one name by which we can be saved, one faith, one family, and one focus, then that means there is only one thing that should ultimately drive all the other things in our lives. That means there is one name and one story that is worthy of giving our all to, worthy of giving our one life to, one name, one choice. All must give all. All must be all in. We cannot settle for some gave all or even all gave some. Going all in and in for us, the first time we heard it, uh, I was actually, my, my first prayer was to, to for God to tell me what that means. As a part of our walk and because of where we were and with this perspective of um, really prioritizing things that are of importance for us, um, for our family, we've wanted to go all, all in in um, with our body of believers that have loved on us so much. We must be a people that are all, all in and therefore willing to give our all for Jesus. In fact, David said in 1 Chronicles 29 verse three, and now because of my devotion to the temple of my God, I am giving all. As we engage the Lord on what he wants to do in us, we believe God is going to speak to us about what he wants to do through us. We believe God is going to move us to cheerfully and sacrificially give all to this vision. In the past, we had given sacrificially beyond, you know, probably what we were comfortable with. And over time, it had become comfortable. And so Project One kind of brought us back to the point that maybe we should search to get back into that uncomfortable state and have a discussion between the two of us of what that looked like. Our prayer for Project One is that every person in our church grows in their devotion to God, one faith, to their church, one family, and to the mission of God, that one focus. And then out of the overflow of that devotion, just like David, we will be a people that give all for the name of Jesus. So will you join us? The time has come for a new core group that is committed to Jesus and the vision of our church to step out in faith and sacrifice to launch the City Church into a new season. Man, I just got myself fired up. I don't know about you. That was, <laughs> I know I'm the one in it, but I thought it was awesome. I'm all, I'm all fired up. I'm ready to go, man. We, we are so excited because we are entering a new season at the city church called project one. We are taking a break for the next five weeks from our study, our verse by verse study of the gospel of Luke to talk about who we are as a church, where we are headed, and especially what it's going to take to get us where God is leading us. This whole season, as you heard in the video, is based on Deuteronomy chapter six, where the Lord says through Abraham to his kids, Israel, he says this, hear, O Israel, the Lord is one, that there is one God, God said. There's not many gods or multiple gods, right? God says there is one God, and so you're gonna worship and serve me only. And then in Acts chapter four, verse 12, Peter's preaching and he says, there is one name by which we can be saved. That there's only one name. There's no other name that, that we've been given by God by which we can have a relationship with God and, and to go to heaven when we die. So there's no other name, Peter says, by which we can be saved. So if there's one God and one name by which we are saved, that, that means we as the people of God have one choice. Go all, all in. Our team has put together this incredible guidebook that you just received that's going to, that's being passed out. That's a story of where we've been. It, it talks about the season that we are entering together as a church family and the vision that he has put before us as a church. This guidebook has your sermon notes for the next month. So if you flip to the back, we're, we're not using the app over the next five weeks. This book has the sermon notes. So keep it with you. Bring it back to church each week for your sermon notes. This book will also have the group guide 
for the next five weeks. Your small groups will meet and go over this group, the, the, the group guide in there together. And so if you're not in a group right now, now's a great time to get plugged into the family, like in the life of our church by joining a small group. That's called city groups. Those are our small group Bible studies. You can sign up for a group on our app with the connect form, or you can actually go to the city groups tab and find a group that works best for you and, and, and find that group. So this book, Sermon Notes, it's your group guide. And then in there as well as a commitment card. Now, this isn't something you're filling out today. We're just giving you this so that you can see it ahead of time and pray about what your all, all in your project one commitment for the next two years might be. So, so keep this book, hold on to all of this. Uh, we're having, we're, we're taking the next month, the next five weeks specifically to like dive into this, talk about this, what this is going to look like and to give you time to like pray about it and talk as a family about what this is going to mean, <coughs> excuse me, for you to go all, all in. Well, let's pray together as we dive into the word and begin our project one series and season together as a church. God, we thank you for this church, for every person, child, adult that, that comes to this church. God, would you bless them and would you speak to them in this series, in, in this season of our church? God, would you speak to us through your word, by, by your spirit? Would you unite us together as, as one? Like it says in Acts, that that early church, they, they were of one heart and one mind. And God, I pray that, that even now and, and, and today and through this series, God, that you would, by your spirit, unite our hearts together as we pursue you in the mission of Jesus together as a faith family. God, we thank you for your word. Speak to us through your word today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, four and a half years ago, Darby and I felt called to plant this church. May of 2018, I'll never forget being in the duplex we were living in at the time because we had no idea kind of what was coming next for us. We sold our house, we moved into a duplex and Darby in our kitchen said, hey, I'm glad like you're having fun doing Raider Church. That was a ministry that Mark Tatum and I and some of our other staff members were doing on the tech campus. But our family needs a church home and I think you need to plant a church. And I was like, no way, <laughs> no way. That, that sounds like a lot of work. It sounds like a gigantic risk. Like I'm comfortable where I'm at, like I'm enjoying what I'm doing. And God used Darby in that moment to spark a vision and a change of heart in me over that next month or two. And we began to talk with other leaders and friends and people. And, and we gathered a core group over the next two months of about a hundred people who said, we're, we're going to step out and plant this church. And I'll never forget that that summer that as I was praying about planting this church, about four and a half years ago, God kept bringing the picture to my mind of Jesus saying his disciples, his followers would be like a city on a hill. And God just kept reminding me of that. And so that's what we named the church. We named the church the city church because it's after that picture that Jesus said his followers, his disciples would be like a city on a hill. You heard in that video that over the last four and a half years, you, you, you heard about, you got a glimpse of just some of the things that God has done over the last four and a half years. It wasn't easy. It's never been comfortable. In fact, when we decided to, to plant this church, like it was a huge risk for Darby and I, for my family. It was a huge risk for the staff members that said, hey, we wanna, we wanna join you and we wanna do this together. It was a huge risk for the core group of about 100 people who said, hey, we're gonna start this church with you. And we know it's not gonna have like all the ministries and everything that we, like, we would want or need maybe in a church, at least not yet, but we're gonna start this church with you because we're on board, man. We're, 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 we're a family and we're gonna do this together. And, and so they, they stepped out in faith too with, with a lot of risk to entrust us with, with, with starting this new church together. So, so every one of us, from, from Darby and I to our staff, to our core group, man, it wasn't easy, it wasn't comfortable, it was a huge risk. And, and here's what Project One is about over the next five weeks. It, it has become time in the life of our church for a new core group to rise up. Like that, that's why we're here, that's what the next five weeks is about. 
It is time, like we have come to a season in our church where it is time for a new core group of people that will rise up and say, hey, we will step out in faith. We will step out in risk. We will step out. We will get uncomfortable. We will sacrifice. We will pay the cost so that we can be a faith family, a, 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 commun- a covenant community that can move forward into the next season that God has For us, that's what Project One is all about. It's about a new core group that will step out in faith and surrender and sacrifice and risk. Because to realize Project One, like to live for and be a part of something that is so much bigger than ourselves, to to, to make an eternal impact, it's gonna take each of us individually and corporately together as a church walking the same path that a man by the name of Abraham did. Like if we're gonna realize Project One, it's gonna take all of us together walking the same path that Abraham did. And so over the next five weeks, we're going to be looking at the life of Abraham. We're going to do a character study. We're going to do a deep dive into Abraham, one of the most important figures in all of human history, not just in the scripture. Personally, I love the story of Abraham. I, I love I love that he didn't just go with the flow, that he was willing to leave as comfortable. He was willing to leave what was familiar. He stood against his family. He stood against society and he redefined the future. I like people like that. I like people that step out in faith when there's a huge risk, when there's sacrifice, when there's a cost to be a part of something that is so much bigger than just themselves. And that's Abraham. Abraham was a man who was a channel of blessing and his life was multiplied. And he gives us a picture of how God wants to use each one of us in our city and in our world. But when his story starts, he's got nothing. When his story starts, he's got nothing. In fact, there's a tragic irony in how the story begins. Abram is his name originally. Abram was literally, the word Abram literally means father. But he's 75 when his story begins and he doesn't have any kids. And his name, like literally means father. Later on, his name changes to Abraham, which means the father of many. So in in other words, Abram means like daddy and, and Abraham means big daddy, right? That's Abram. That's Abraham. That's like his identity. But at this point, he's childless. He's got nothing. His life is like a cruel joke. He seems to have his destiny like written into him, like into his very name, but he's nearing the end of his life. He's got nothing. He's got no kids. It's almost like life is mocking him. And every time he hears his name, it's like life is a cruel joke. See, I want to convince many of you, I want to convince us that we're in the same spot that Abram was. God is destined for you to leave your comfortable, to leave the familiar, to follow the one true God and for your life to have eternal significance, for you to live for something bigger than you. For you to live for a story that's so much bigger than just you. Like, I don't know about you, but it's so tempting in this life and in this world to have such a grip on this world, this culture, and this, the stuff that goes along with this, like we, we get this grip on stories that are so much smaller than us. But Christian, make no mistake. God has a calling and a plan for your life, for you to live for something so much bigger than yourself and for your life to have eternal significance. But you've got to understand the cost. You see, Abraham is going to have to walk an uncomfortable path towards significance and multiplication. And it is the same path that you and I are going to have to walk, whether you're young or middle-aged or or old, like it's the same path that you and I are going to have to walk if our life is going to count for something in eternity. If our life's going to have eternal significance, if we're going to live for something bigger than ourselves. So today is step one on that path, on Abraham's path. Step one is leaving your comfortable and following the one. 
If you got your Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis 12, open your guidebooks to, towards the back to the sermon notes. All the verses and the points are there. You should have a pen in your chair as well where you can take notes and fill in the blank as we go. People always start Abram's story in Genesis 12, but it actually begins in Genesis 11. You see, Genesis 11 is the story of the Tower of Babel, a project that symbolized humanity's rejection of God. It symbolized their own pride. It was a declaration of independence from God and their wholesale worship of idols. This is a dark age where people, the people of God, are tightening their grip on this world. They're, they're tightening their grip on their own story, on their kingdom, on living for themselves instead of living for something that's so much bigger than them, that they're living for this, this small, insignificant, rebellious story. And God's done with it. There's one family line that belongs to God. It's the descendants of Shem, but at the end of chapter 11, they live in a place of idolatry, almost swallowed up by it. The final guy in this family line is Terah, and he has one son, whose name is Abram, to carry on the family line, to carry on the family name. One son, Abram, and Abram is childless. Daddy is childless. Abram has got nothing. He's got no kids. And so it looks like the end for the family line of God. It looks like the end for this godly family line. In fact, Terah, Abram's father's name in Hebrew literally means moon, which is a Hebrew metaphor for the end. It's like us saying it's the caboose. It's the end of the train. Terah's it. He's got one son and it's Abram and Abram's got no kids and he's old and he's at the end of his life. This is the end for the people of God. This family Family line, this godly family is about done. In fact, in Ur, where they lived, people worshiped the moon. And so the fact that Terah's name means moon means that his family has possibly succumbed to the idolatrous culture and become idolaters themselves. And so as Genesis 11 ends, the last candle seems to be flickering out in the people of God in this family line. The only godly family on earth has possibly capitulated to idolatry and they aren't having any more kids. The darkness is about to completely swallow up the light, but then God. The, the darkness is overwhelming. The light's about to be extinguished, but God, but God speaks, but God moves, but God acts, but God calls out to this man named Abram. And this whole picture, this whole scene, the end of Genesis 11, the beginning of Genesis 12, it's, it's a picture to a degree of what's happening in our own country. Like right now. Like the, the, the stats right now are horrendous. Like Christians are turning away from their faith. Kids are growing up in the faith and turning away from their faith when they go to college. Like, like people are turning away in droves and we are losing ground. Now I don't care about politically. That's not what we're talking about. We are losing ground fast. It is a snowball. It's an avalanche going down a mountain. We are losing ground quick in our country. I'm not talking about political. We're talking about disciples of Jesus. The, the darkness is growing and it's overwhelming. And it's almost like there's this flickering candle, just like Abram, right? It's this flickering candle, that this, this remnant. You know what a remnant is? A remnant all throughout the scripture is a people who will continue to worship God and seek God and follow the Lord and listen to the Lord and be used by God. That, that's a remnant, like regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the cost, regardless of the pain, like in spite of what the society is doing and saying, in spite of what our culture is doing, in spite of what even other Christians are doing or saying, right? A remnant is a faithful people of God in spite of the cost, in spite of the circumstances, a remnant are those that say, we're going to follow the Lord regardless of what happens or what anyone else does. That's a remnant. Abram's like a, a remnant. 
I think God's looking for a remnant in our own country. The darkness is growing. It's, it's like an avalanche. That candle is flickering. God's looking for a remnant. There's to say, hey, whatever the cost, count me in. Whatever it takes, count me in. Like for me in my house, for me in our house together, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to be that remnant. We're, we're going to be that flickering candle in the darkness. That God is going to use as a channel of blessing to our city and to the nations around the world who've yet to hear the gospel. That's Abram. It's you, it's me, it's us. So Genesis 11 comes to a close. The darkness is overwhelming. That last candle is flickering. Genesis 12 verse one, read with me. Then the Lord said to Abram, and we're gonna say these big words in all caps and all bows, we're gonna say these together. Then the Lord said to Abram, one, two, three, leave. One more time. Then the Lord said to Abram, one, two, three, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family. So you're gonna leave your familiar, you're gonna leave what's comfortable, right? You're, you're, you're leaving your land, you're leaving your family, you're, you're, you're leaving everything. You're, you're leaving what's familiar, you're leaving what you've known, you're, you're leaving what's comfortable. And when God comes and calls you out, when, when you're gonna, when you step into faith, like when you step out in faith into what God is calling you to, whatever it is, it's always gonna mean leaving something that's comfortable, something that's familiar. It's always going to involve that. Like if a remnant is going to continue to follow the Lord in spite of what everyone else is doing, right? It's always going to take leaving what's comfortable and then what's next? You're gonna leave what's comfortable and one, two, three, ready right here, go, right? You're going to leave what's comfortable and you're gonna go to the land that I will show you. In other words, you're gonna follow me. You're gonna leave what's comfortable and you're gonna go. You're gonna follow the one true God. You're gonna to go to this land I will show you. And then watch this, here's the promise. I'm gonna make you into a great nation, Abraham. Yeah, your daddy with no kids, right? But I'm gonna make you into a great nation. I'm gonna make you into Abraham. I'm gonna make you into a big daddy, right? With, with, with descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. So, so I'm gonna make you into a great nation. I'm gonna bless you and make you famous and you will be a one, two, three blessing to others. Why? Why is God blessing Abraham? Why, why does God bless you with anything, much less the gospel? Why does God bless us? So that we might be a channel of blessing to other people. When you step out in faith and into living for something that's bigger than yourself, it's always gonna mean leaving your comfortable, following the one true God and becoming a channel of blessing to others. God says, I'm gonna bless those who bless you, curse those who treat you with contempt and all the families on earth will be one, two, three, blessed through you. Abram, you're gonna be a great nation. It's gonna be something so much bigger than you. What I'm gonna do through you is so much bigger than you. But, but, but to do that, like to live for something bigger than yourself, to step into something that's bigger than you, it's going to mean leaving your comfortable, following the one true God and becoming a channel of blessing so that God might bless others through you, in the midst of this great darkness, God calls a man who barely knows who he is, who's childless, and tells him he is going to make from him a great nation of people who will worship and follow God and bless the whole earth with the knowledge of God. And that people would be the nation of Israel. And the scripture says it's a promise, in some ways, at least spiritually speaking, it's a promise that you and I have inherited as followers of Jesus. You see, to make a long story short, one of Abraham's descendants is a man by the name of Jesus Christ. And in Christ, God offers salvation to the whole world and, and Christ's followers are commissioned to bless the world by taking the good news about Jesus to all the families on 
earth. You see, in Matthew's gospel, where we get the great commission in Matthew chapter 28, we get the clearest expression of the great commission to followers of Jesus. Matthew opens that gospel. That's the end of the gospel of Matthew, the great commission. Matthew opens the gospel. He opens his gospel by tracing the family line of Jesus all the way back to Abraham. So this, this great commission is an extension of God's promise to Abraham to bless all the families on earth through Abraham and through his descendants, namely Jesus. That same promise and challenge and commission has been given to followers of Jesus. Hey, you're going to take the good news of Jesus. You're going to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, to all nations, to, st- to fulfill this promise that God made to Abram, that through his family, all the nations on earth would be blessed. So Abraham's promise becomes our promise. His experience serves as a model to us and it challenges us in the same ways that Abraham was challenged. So so two challenges today from this passage. Abraham's call presents each of us with two challenges. All right, you ready for challenge number one? I don't know if you're ready, man. This is good. I'm telling you, these, these, when I say challenges, these are, these are like, these are challenges, okay? It's going to be challenging, okay? So, so here's, here's number one, all right? Get ready. Here's number one. Coming into your calling means coming out of your comfort zone. If you're going to, if you're going to step out in faith, if you're going to live for something bigger than yourself, if you're going to follow God's call, if we as a church are going to follow God's call to be and to live for something bigger than ourselves and, and to be about something that's bigger than us, like coming into your calling, our calling means coming out of your comfort zone. When we started that church four years ago, man, Darby and I, our staff and their families, our core, they were coming out of a comfort zone. We were leaving what had been familiar in order to follow the the call of God on our lives. Coming out of your calling always means coming out of a comfort zone. It It means leaving something that's familiar to step into something that God is calling you to. You see, this, this command to Abraham is intentionally open-ended. God says, go to the land, I will show you later. So God says to Abraham, go. And Abraham's like, where? And God's like, I'll show you later. God's like, I'm gonna give you a son, I'm gonna make you into a great nation. Abraham's like, especially later, he's gonna be like, when, when he doesn't see it happening, like in his own timing, he's gonna be like, how? Like, God, you said, you told me you're making me into a great nation. You're going to give me this son, this son of a prom, like the son of promise. Like, like, how is this going to happen? And God's like, I'll take care of that. You just follow me. Like, like all the what abouts and the what ifs and the hows, like you, you don't worry about all that. Like you just follow me. I love how John Calvin summarized God's call to Abraham here. Just close your eyes and take my hand. Just close your eyes and take my hand. I love that. But God, what about this? And how will this? And what if? No, 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 no. Close your eyes and take my hand. The, the call's not necessarily to a what. It's to a who. That's why God says to Abraham, hey, you're going to go to the land I'm going to show you. In other words, you're, you're going to have to walk with me. You're going to have to know, you're going to have to hear from me right? The the call is to know me. It's to walk with me. It's not about the what's and, and, and and the how wills and the what ifs. Just close your eyes and take my hand. You see, when people considering like, especially giving their lives to Jesus for the very first time, many, a lot of people want to know, well, well, but God, what if I, if I surrender everything to you? Like, what, what, what is that going to mean? Like, where are you going to make me go? What are you going to make me do? Like, like, am I going to have to become a missionary to like Zimbabwe? Like, like we, we have these questions. Like, am I going to have to change careers? Am I going to have to break up with my boyfriend? Like, what if you tell me to change some part of my life that I, that I really like and that I don't really even know how to change or how I would change it? Like, are you going to, am I going to have to stop drinking? Like that sounds kind of, that sounds boring. Am I going to become a boring person? Like that's kind of scary. My brother Travis is fun, life of the party kind of guy, like a a super outgoing. And he told me, he's like, I resisted giving my life to Jesus for the longest time because I thought I was going to become some 
boring, weird person that couldn't like smoke and drink and party and do all this kind of stuff. I mean, he's like, so I, I just thought that, that seems boring. Like thinking about all the do nots and, 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 and all the laws and the check. And he, he had this wrong impression in his mind, but he wanted to know like, like, what am I going to be? Am I going to be different? Like if I, if I give my life to Jesus and I follow Jesus, like what if I become boring? What if I become one of those annoying people who wear Christian t-shirts? Like, so annoying, those the Christian, those Christians that wear t-shirt, right? And they put bumper stickers on their car and they tell everybody to have a blessed day and, and they correct store clerks when they say happy holidays and they say, no, it's Merry Christmas, right? I mean, am I gonna become one of those people that say they're blessed all the time, even when they're not really feeling very blessed? Like, am I gonna become one of those kinds of people? Because I don't wanna become one of those kinds of people. Like, people have all these questions about what it's gonna mean, what, what, what? Where am I going? What am I going to do? What am I going to be like if I follow Jesus? And, and, and that almost never really changes because it's like every time the Lord comes and, and calls us to step out in faith, it's kind of like Abraham, like, well, where and how and what if and how's that going to? We don't get answers to those questions because the calling is not so much about a what. That's kind of the overflow. It's. The calling is to follow the one true God. It's to know and follow him. And so, you know, I used to try and answer those questions for people, but then I, I just realized that it's just people wanting to know exactly where God is going to take them and what he's going to do in them before they'll follow him. It's like they're, they're wanting to follow God with getting out of the driver's seat. And that's just not possible. We want to know the what's of his will and God keeps saying all that should really matter is the who. Just close my eyes and take my hand. You see, God wasn't calling Abraham to make God a part of his life or, or even add a few tweaks to his morality. No, it's so much bigger and, and deeper than that. He's calling Abraham to radically like surrender to a whole new way of life. In those days, family connections and land were everything. This is the equivalent of like God coming to you and telling you to walk away from your career, your home. You see, the greatest enemy of faith is always what's familiar. The greatest enemy of faith, the greatest enemy of walking by faith, living by faith, the greatest enemy of faith is what's familiar. What's, what's familiar is always gonna be that that tug to keep you from stepping out in faith and following the one true God. But what we're gonna see on Abraham's path is that Abraham was willing to leave what was comfortable. He was willing to leave what was familiar to follow the one, the one true God. Now let me point out something else before we move on to challenge number two. This was a, this was a challenge, this was a calling that Abraham had to respond to personally. Like Abraham is being asked to do something here that the rest of his family isn't being asked to do. Like, here's the point. At some point, you have to make your own decision to follow God. Like, regardless of what your family, your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors, like regardless of what even other people do in this room, like at some point, you have to make your own decision to follow the Lord. There's a lot happening here at our church. There's a lot happening and that goes into us preaching the gospel, making disciples, blessing our city in Jesus' name, serving the poor and the, the marginalized in Jesus' name. And my question for you is, are you personally engaged in part of it? Because there's a lot of things happening here. Like there's a lot of things that people are really excited about, about uh, like what we're doing as a church family. But here's what's less than encouraging. Not nearly as many people are engaged in what we're doing. People like watch our videos or hear me talk about something or hear our stories. And they're like, man, I love these stories of people coming to know Jesus and getting baptized and, and us beginning our orphan care and adoption ministry that we just started or the prison ministry that we've had going for a couple of years now or the mission trips or, or the volunteer, all these different things. And people are excited about them. And, and if we're not careful, we'll, we'll, we'll say, man, I'm, I'm sure glad all those people are doing whatever it takes to make all that happen. Because I'm not, but I, I, I'd love to, I wanna see that keep happening. Like I wanna go to a church like that, but 
man, I sure hope all, whoever's doing all that, whoever these people are that are giving their time and money and blood, sweat and tears to, to make all this happen, like I sure hope they keep doing it because man, I'd love to still kind of be associated with it. Listen, there's no blessing for associating with the right group. This isn't a country club. There's no blessing that comes from that. You, you can't piggyback on other people's engagement in the mission. No, you personally have to step into your calling and step into our calling. If you're gonna live for something that's bigger than you, a story that's bigger than yourself, or you're gonna miss out on living for something bigger than yourself. It's a personal call. Abraham's family, Abraham's friends, Abraham's coworkers, right? They weren't asked to do the same thing Abraham was. Abraham had his own call that he had to step into. All right, challenge number two from Abraham's story. Living for something bigger than yourself always means giving yourself to something bigger than yourself. Living for something bigger than yourself. If you're gonna live for a story that's bigger than you, it means giving yourself to something bigger than you. Abraham has to decide right here in Genesis chapter 12 whether to abandon his land in favor of the land that God is offering and promising. Abraham has to decide whether to abandon what family he still has in favor of the family God promises against all logic, right? His own old age, Sarah's infertility. He, he's got to decide whether he's going to leave his own family and trust God for the family that God is going to provide for him. He's got to decide whether to set aside his blessing, his inheritance from his father for the inheritance that God is offering. The initiative, the project offers so much. But make no mistake, the cost is significant. What Abraham is willing to give up, what Abraham is willing to pay in order to follow the one true God, in order to be a part of something that God has promised, it's going to be so much bigger than you, Abraham. You're not, you can't even, you're not even going to imagine like what I'm going to do in you and through you. There's a cost here. It meant giving himself over to something that was bigger than himself. David in 1 Chronicles 29 is raising funds for the construction of the temple of God. God has told him, you're not gonna be the one to build it. You're gonna supply everything that's going to be needed. Your son Solomon is going to build the temple. But in 1 Chronicles 29, David is leading the nation of Israel to come together to be a part of something that's bigger than themselves to live for a story, to live for a name that's bigger than them. And he's calling them to come together and David and his leaders go first and they're gonna give and they're gonna make this offering for the building of the construction of the temple of God. In 1 Chronicles 29, verse three, here's what David says. And now because of my, ready? One, two, three. Let's try it again. And now because of my one, two, three, devotion. David's like, I'm all, all in. And I'm devoted to the temple of my God, which is, which is a very deep thing. It's not just to the Lord. It is that it's to his faith family. It's to his covenant community. The, the temple worship, kind of similar to this, it was a, a covenant community coming together to worship and pray and offer sacrifices to God. And so David says, I'm devoted to the temple and to temple worship, which involved his covenant family. Like he's devoted. He's all, all in, if you will, with the Lord and with the people of God. And so he says, because of my devotion, my, my heart, because of what God has done in me, I am one, two, three, giving all. You see, because of what God is doing in me, my devotion and my heart, I'm giving all. He's going to do something through me. Because I'm, I'm, a, I'm a channel of God's blessing. The blessing's not gonna end with me. No, people who live for something bigger than themselves are a channel of blessing to other people. So David says, because of my devotion, I'm giving all of my own private treasures of gold and silver to help in this construction, to be a part of something that's bigger than himself. David is giving himself to something bigger than himself. And becoming a Christ follower Always means viewing everything in your life as something to be given, something to be God's kingdom. God is a rich giver. He's a good father who loves to give good gifts to his kids, but he doesn't give us blessings simply for us to enjoy them. 
Yes, they're for our enjoyment, but it doesn't end there. God blesses us, namely and especially with the gospel, that we might be a channel of blessing. It doesn't end with us. No, we're a channel of blessing to other people. He blesses us so that we can offer those blessings back to God so that then he can multiply those blessings in you and through you and into the lives of others. Look what Paul says to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 10. He says this. Paul says about God, he, God, who supplies the seed to the sower will supply and multiply your seed for, what's this word? One, two, three, sowing. God supplies seed to the sower and supplies and, mul- and will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. That's the, that's the purpose of it and increase the harvest of your righteousness. So, so why does God bless us with anything, namely the gospel? That we might be a channel of blessing. That God might take that seed that he's given to us and as we offer it back to him, he, he multiplies it into the lives of other people for this harvest of of righteousness. You see, becoming a Christ follower means a a fundamental reshaping of your entire life. You look at everything now that you've got that you're going to receive as a seed to sow for something so much bigger than yourself. I know some of you might be saying, well, I don't feel very blessed. My my life's been hard. (laughs) It's been difficult. But listen, no matter who you are or what season God has you in, He's given you seed to sow. One day, Jesus saw a widow putting like two pennies into an offering plate. She probably didn't feel financially blessed, but Jesus said she gave more than anyone else because she took what God had given her and multiplied it. So God doesn't ever call you to give what you don't have, and you're not always in charge of how your life is going. You're called to take what you have and offer it to God. You can even offer God your pain. You can say, God, can you use this pain to give testimony and glory to you and blessing maybe to someone else? God can even use your pain. And so a Christian says, I'm gonna leverage my prosperity for the advancement of the, of the kingdom of God and I'll turn my pain into a testimony of your goodness and faithfulness even in the worst situations in life. In the Christian life, Nothing is wasted. That's the great news of the gospel, that that the cross can then turn into an empty tomb, that a grave can turn into a garden, that, that beauty can come from ashes. It's the great news of the gospel, that in the Christian life, nothing is wasted, not even your pain. Everything God gives you can be multiplied, can be sown into something that's so much bigger than you. And when you sow in God's field, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 11, the next verse after the one we just read says this, you will be enriched in every way. Why? Verse 11, to be generous in every way. You're, you're enriched. God enriches you. He gives seed to the sower. Why? For what purpose? So that, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 11, so that you will be generous in every way, which through us, through that generosity, through that sowing back into God's field, through us, it will produce thanksgiving to God. You see, here's what happens. When you take what God has blessed you with and you're a channel of blessing into other people and into the kingdom of God, you're you're generous in every way, people begin to thank God because of you. People thank God because of, of you. You see, God can use you to bless others in a way that they thank God because of you. Hundreds and hundreds of people have given their lives to Jesus and gotten baptized over the last four and a half years. That's a lot of people rejoicing in God's grace. You you saw in the video, us talking about marriages that have been restored, families that have been saved, family trees that have been altered, incarcerated men and women finding hope in Jesus. And it's because of some of you. And whether you realize it or not, they are thanking and praising God because of you. Because you have sown back into God's field. You see, God presents Abraham, you, me, every one of us with a stark choice. Hold on to what you have and you'll end up empty. 
or offer it without restriction to God and you'll be filled, both you and the world around you. You see, if you want to live a tidy, safe life without ever leaving your comfort zone, you aren't going to be much use to anybody. But if you open your hands on all of it and you offer it to God, then you become a channel of blessing. God will use you beyond your wildest expectations. Make no mistake, God has blessed us and with that blessing comes a responsibility. We can't sit on it. We have more people to reach, more people to disciple, more marriages to be saved, more family trees to be altered. There's too much that needs to be done. And so we cannot sit on our blessings, whether spiritual or physical. We cannot sit on them. They were never meant to end with us. We are to be a channel of God's blessings. So this whole journey over the next five weeks, and this series and, and really even beyond that, this whole journey, this whole Project One journey should make you ask some crucial discipleship questions. Number one, and Am I a channel of God's blessings? Secondly, have I really fully surrendered to God in every area of my life? Three, who, who or what am I really trusting the most? What kingdom am I primarily living for? My name, my story, my kingdom? Or his name, his story, his kingdom? And am I bringing my first and best to God as a worship to him? You see, this is, this is why our primary goal in this season isn't like a dollar figure. Our primary goal is that we're all, all in. That, that we're all, all in. Not, not, not some gave all or all gave some, but, but all all in. It's about what God is doing in us. Like David said, because of our devotion to the Lord, like we're praying about and we're examining our, our devotion to the Lord, our God. And, and out of that, like out of what God does in us, like David, he's going to do something in it or through us. Like David said, because of my devotion, I'm giving my all. So, so the, the focus here, that the primary goal is that we're all, all in. Because as God does something in us, he'll, he'll take care of what he's going to do through us. Like, like, it's about who we're becoming. And if we're becoming like sold out, radically surrendered Christ followers, then, then the what will take care of itself. That, that secondary goal, we're going to give our all, that takes care of itself if we're all all in. And so that's why in this season, our, our primary goal is that we're all praying about our commitment, our devotion, our heart for this, for one faith, one family, one, one focus. Because as God does something in us, he'll take care of what he's going to do through us. But listen, calling you to sacrifice is never comfortable. Not for you, I'm sure, it's not for me either. Like I, I promise you, <laughs> there is nothing comfortable about today or the next five weeks for me. And I'm sure you're sitting there going, brother, there's nothing comfortable about this for me either. I get it. It's not for any of us. There's nothing comfortable about any of this. But Jesus said to follow him, means we're going to pick up our cross daily and follow. We're going to die to ourselves. We're going to follow him. There's nothing about that that is comfortable. But if you think that like the Christian life is about slowly moving towards comfort, then you're just not walking with Jesus. Paul called us living sacrifices. The problem with the living sacrifices, it just wants to keep getting up off the altar, right? And so we, as a covenant community, have to pray and seek the Lord and challenge each other to be a living sacrifice. And that's never comfortable. 
But let's remind ourselves in light of that difficulty of our two challenges today. Number one, coming in your calling always means coming out of your comfort zone. If we're gonna step into our calling individually and corporately together as a church, it's gonna mean getting uncomfortable. The enemy of faith, stepping out in faith, living by faith, walking by faith is always what is familiar. And then if we're gonna live for something bigger than ourselves, it's going to mean giving yourself to something so much bigger than yourself. You see, as we've said before, it's time for a new core group that like Abraham is willing to get uncomfortable, willing to risk it all, and willing to follow the one true God into the next season of our church. And I believe that what we're about to go through as a church is going to change us, both individually and corporately. It's not only going to extend our impact in, in reaching our city, it's gonna change us like as a people, as God does something in us. We, we have a chance. We, we have a chance like to revolutionize our city for the gospel, see the gospel taken to unreached people groups, those who've never heard the name of Jesus. We, we have a chance for God to teach us what it really means to follow him with reckless abandon and to have our lives make an eternal difference. We, we, we have a chance as a remnant to be faithful to the Lord in our generation, in our time, in our city, in our country. Like we have a chance to be that, you have a chance like to be a part of a remnant of people who are saying as for me and my house and as for us in our house together, we will serve the Lord. Regardless of what's happening in our country, in society or in our culture, we are going to serve the Lord. And it might be true of us like it was true of those early disciples that we turn the world upside down with the gospel. That's what was said of those disciples in the early church. These guys are turning the world upside down. Man, may that be true of us. So a few notes about this series. Number one, I wanna challenge you to be here every week. If it's at all possible, be here every week. This is an important moment, it's an important season in the life of our church. And so if it's at all possible, I'm challenging you to be here every week. Secondly, on November 13th, we're having a commitment weekend where we are coveting together as a church on what we believe God is gonna do through us. So we're not filling out commitment card. We're not doing anything like that. We're not even, we're not asking for, you know, an offering today or anything like that. Like we're praying over the next month. And I'm asking you, like, if you're like, Hey, I'm not really sure this is for me. I, I get it. I'm, I'm saying, would you take the next month and just pray and hear and listen and consider? Would you? I'm, I'm asking for a month. Four more Sundays. For you to pray, like for you to pray. Am I gonna be one of those that are all, all in with this faith? And then on November 13th, we're gonna covenant together as a church about what giving your all, what my all, what, like what that looks like for you, practically and tangibly, just like it did for David. Like, and we're gonna commit together on that weekend, November 13th. But listen, what Abraham was asked to do and did falteringly through ups and downs, Jesus would come one day and do perfectly. Like Jesus was asked to go out alone, like leaving his father's house, a place of real security, right? And give up his life for you. And he did so gladly for you. He became utterly homeless and utterly fatherless so that we could have a real home, so that we could have a heavenly father. You see, you got to understand that the one calling you to follow him is the same one who left everything for you. And the Bible says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross for you. 
See, the Bible says we've all sinned, we've all fallen short of God's standard of our relationship with him and to go to heaven when we die. And not only that, the Bible says in Romans 6, the wages of sin is death. Like there's a fine to be paid. You break man's law, you pay man's fine. You break God's law, you pay God's fine. And God's fine for sin, Romans 6 verse 23 says, it's death, it's eternity separated from God and hell. But God loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus who left his home came to this earth, took on flesh, died on that cross to pay your fine for your sin. Three days later, rose from the grave, conquering your sin, conquering death itself. But the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He paid your fine for sin so that you might be forgiven of your sin, made right with God, and know for sure that when you die, you're going to heaven. And so the call to you, if you've never given your life to Jesus, is to lay down your life is to give your life to the one who gave up everything for you. He gave up his life for you because he loves you. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross to save you, to save you from your sin. And so if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, man, today's the day. Give your life to the one who gave up everything for you. Give your life to Jesus. And you too can be saved from your sin. And know that you're right with God. And know that when you die, you're going to heaven. If that's you, jump on our app, fill out our connect form and let us know that you're giving your life to Jesus today. But, but here's what I want all of us to understand. Like as we face this season that's coming, and as we consider the, the sacrifice, the cost, the risk, the getting uncomfortable, all, all of those different things, like it's not something you can do in your own effort, strength, and power. Paul said, it's Christ in us that's our hope of glory. Like it's Christ in us and through us. And so it's in Christ that I can let go of all of I have because it's in Christ that I, I receive the promise of everything I'm ever going to need. Every blessing, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm, Paul said in Ephesians 1, is mine in Christ. And so I can let go, I can loosen my grip on this kingdom and this world and I can take hold of his kingdom can loosen my grip on my own story and I can take hold of his story with Christ in me and through me. You see, Christ's sacrifice becomes our motivation to sacrifice for him. Your security to him becomes your confidence to risk for him, whatever he asks. Christ in you, Christ in us. We can follow the one and we can live for something. We can give ourselves to something so much bigger than us. Christ in you and Christ in us. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for every single person that, that's here right now and, and, and every child and student that, that's here right now. God, would you, would you bless them and, and then transform them into a channel of your blessings? And God, I pray that your spirit would move in our hearts right now to loosen our grip on this kingdom and, and this story and, and, and my story and, and by your spirit and with Christ in us, God, give us the, the strength and the faith to, to take hold of your name and your story and your kingdom. God, would you give us the faith to leave our comfortable, to leave the familiar, to follow you and to give ourselves to something so much bigger than ourselves. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as our team leads us in a time of worship?